Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Mike McGowan. Oh, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Good morning. Yes, you're alive. That's awesome. So glad you guys are here today as we continue the I Wish I Was There series. And look, as a general rule, I jump at the opportunity to get to teach the Sunday morning message. I just love the opportunity to communicate uh, God's love and, and His Word, uh, really to anybody that will listen to me. So it's always exciting when, when I have the opportunity to teach on a Sunday morning. But i got to be honest, I was not excited when I learned that this Sunday was, I wish I was there at the foot of the cross. Because I don't. Or at least I didn't about a couple weeks ago. Because see, the cross... Jesus' crucifixion is one of the pivotal moments of history. Uh, This is the the catalyst that started God's plan in motion for the salvation and redemption of mankind. I mean, Jesus taking the sin of the world, that was the linchpin to God's whole plan. I mean, you could argue that this was the moment in history when everything changed. It's, It's what made our forgiveness possible. Literally, it's the reason we're all here together today. So technically, that's a really exciting moment. But it's also the most horrible moment because crucifixion is horrible. It is an agonizing, pain-filled way to die. So why in the world would I wish I was there to see that? Well, in preparing for the message today, I I realized that I do wish I was there for that. And regardless of where you stand on that, I believe in, in about 25 minutes when we're done, I believe you'll feel the same way, that you wish you were there at the foot of the cross. So our story of the crucifixion of Jesus comes from the first four books of the Bible, which we call the Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you recall, gospel simply means good news. And these four books, the first four books of the New Testament, chronicle the life of Jesus. And they tell us about the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, all four of the books have an account of the crucifixion. Um, For our purposes this morning, we're going to use parts of all four books to talk about it. But I want to encourage you on your own to read the crucifixion story in all four of those books because each one brings its own unique perspective to the crucifixion. And to get a holistic view of it, you really need to read those. So I want to encourage you to do it uh, on your own. But to set the stage for you where we are at the time of the crucifixion, okay, it was a very exciting time in Jerusalem. So the Passover meal had just happened, and they were moving into the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Now, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread always happened right after Passover, and there was much excitement because it meant the spring harvest was coming. All right, so the spring harvest is when you had all the new grain coming in, and people were were very ready to eat that. Now, Jewish law forbade you from eating from the new harvest until after the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. So at that point in time, they're still eating all the old stores that they had from the last harvest. So it's kind of like, you know, when you're waiting on payday and it's a couple days away, so you're looking in your pantry going, okay, what is in here that we can possibly eat, right? You know, it's, you're waiting for the moment that you can go out to eat or you can go to the store again, right? Well, 
multiply that by many months, and that's where they were on the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. So it was a very excited time because they were ready for that new grain. But it was also a time of unrest because, you see, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth had come into town. And there was always controversy surrounding Jesus wherever he went. Like anyone who was anyone in the Jewish community hated him. All the Pharisees and Sadducees, the teachers of the law, those guys hated Jesus with a vengeance. But then there were other people who thought that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem to kick out the Roman government, to overthrow them, and to set up a new Hebrew kingdom, kind of like King Solomon had. So there's a lot of people that were really excited about that. So you kind of had this topsy-turvy thing going on where there was confusion and stuff. And so people didn't really know what was happening. So among all that, Friday morning happens. And so Friday morning is the beginning or getting ready for the Sabbath. Because if you recall, the Jewish Sabbath starts Friday at sundown. So typically Fridays are spent in preparations for the Sabbath. But that was not the talk of the town on this Friday morning. On this Friday morning, the scuttle rifling through the community was that Jesus had been arrested in the middle of the night. And there had been a trial with the Sanhedrin, and he had been tried and convicted that evening and had been sent to the Roman governor. And so the Roman governor of the region, Pontius Pilate, had gotten involved. And he had said that Jesus should be flogged and crucified. And so what everybody was talking about was that Jesus had been taken by the Roman soldiers. He had been beaten, scourged with whips, and crucified up on Golgotha, which is the hill that looks like a skull. It was actually called the place of the skull. And so if I were there at the foot of the cross on the top of the hill of Golgotha, there are three things that I would have seen. And the first thing is this. It's your first fill-in of the morning. I would have seen vicious crowds. Vicious crowds. Matthew chapter 27 describes it like this. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. (laughs) He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now, (laughs) if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. You know, nothing brings out the worst in humanity like large groups of people and a controversy. You guys have been on Facebook and Twitter. You know what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter what the issue is. I mean, it could be gun control. It could be abortion. It could be immigration. It could be little political stuff, it it really doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter what side of the issue you're on. People will say and do despicable things. Jesus' crucifixion was no different. I mean, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they showed up in mass to gloat. But you see, Jesus has been a pain in their backside for years. They had been trying to trap him. They had been trying to discredit him for a long time with no success. And finally, finally they had him where they wanted him. He had been convicted and was nailed on a tree. But that wasn't enough. No, 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 no. He, they couldn't just let him die and go away. They had to be there to gloat and walk around with their pompous comments like, ha, ha, 
He saved others, but he can't save himself. You want us to believe in you? Come down, and then we'll believe in you. <laughs> I mean, can you hear the poison in their voices they, as they taunt him, as they mocked him? And Scripture says even the people who were just passing by got in on the action, and they're like, hey, if you're the Son of God, come down, <laughs> whatever. Those are the same people that the week earlier had been throwing palm branches down and shouting Hosanna to the king, and now they're walking by throwing insults because that was the thing to do. So this whole time Jesus is being crucified, he is assaulted by insults and by hatred. And he met that evil the same way he always did, with eyes of love. And that's your second feeling of the morning, is if I'd been there, I would have seen eyes of love. You can tell a lot about a person by looking in their eyes. Well, most of you can. I, unfortunately, have the discernment of the rock, and I pretty much just take everything at face value. I don't see people's ulterior motives very well. But most of you can look someone in the eye and you can tell, are they a good person? Are they trustworthy? Are they sincere and honest? And Jesus had been beaten badly. His face was swollen and disfigured, but his eyes, in those eyes, you could see the love that held him on the cross. The book of John, chapter 19, verse 26, says, when Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. See, Jesus knew his death was coming. And when he saw his mom, he wanted to take care of her. He showed how much he loved her by entrusting her care to one of his disciples. And even for the people that crucified him and that were yelling insults at him. Look what he says <clears throat> verse 23 in or chapter 23 in Luke verse 33. When they came to the place called the skull there they crucified him along with the criminals one on his right the other on his left verse 34 Jesus said Father forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And then a few verses later in verse 39 one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you'll be with me in paradise. You know, I said a moment ago it was Jesus' love that kept him on the cross. And that's true. He could have come down at any moment. He could have stopped the pain at any time. But he didn't. It was too important to God's plan. It was too critical to save the ones that he loved. So he stayed there. Enduring the physical pain in his body as he hung there. And enduring the spiritual oppression of all the sins of everyone that has ever lived and that ever will live. All of that sin being placed on him in that moment as he was separated from the Father and he died. 
And if I had been there, that moment, the final thing that I would have seen, your third feeling this morning, is I would have seen the earth mourn. I would have seen the earth mourn. Back in Matthew chapter 27, verse 45, it says, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour. Now, that's about noon to 3 p.m. for us. So Jewish timetable, the first hour started with first light when the sun came up, which is generally between 6 and 7, right? So being crucified at the third hour or 9 a.m., and this happens about three, into, three hours into the process, so about noon for the sixth hour. So in verse 45, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. So at noon, the sun goes away. And it's dark. Okay, so this is the middle of the day from noon to three. Like when the sun is shining the brightest. Or at least that's what my mom used to tell me when she was trying to get me to put on sunscreen at the beach. You know, she's like, 12 to three, that's when the sun is shining the brightest. You got to have your sunscreen. So at the moment the sun is supposed to be brightest and hottest, it goes away. Now the original language there says the sun's light failed. And so some scholars have conjectured that it was a solar eclipse that happened at that moment. Other scholars have said, scientifically, it wasn't possible for a solar eclipse, that it was a solar miracle where God actually got rid of the sun, kind of like when he held the sun in place for Joshua back in the Old Testament. And I've got to be honest, it doesn't matter to me which one it is, a solar eclipse that miraculously happened for three hours while Jesus was being crucified, or if God literally miraculously got rid of the sun. It doesn't matter to me. The sun disappeared in the middle of the day. That's grounds for a freak-out moment. I don't care who you are. And especially back then when they didn't have science that could explain it. And so the sun is gone, and then a giant earthquake happens A little while later into it, it says the ground shook and rocks split, okay? And we're not talking little bitty rocks, like big rocks split in two. So put yourself there for a moment, all right? The sun went away around lunchtime, so you're already a little on edge, right? Because it's kind of freaky when the sun goes away. And then all of a sudden, the earth beneath your feet starts to shake and rumble, and things are breaking and rocks are snapping. I mean, would you not think that the end of the world is coming? I would. I'd ha- if it happened today, right now, I would think the end of the world's coming. I'd be like, take me, Jesus, here it comes. My goodness. There is nothing like a natural disaster that will make you feel small and insignificant. Like last year when Hurricane Harvey rolled through, man, the school was Hurricane 1, man, 0. Because all of our technology, all of our science, all of our everything could not stop what was going on. And it made us realize just how small and insignificant we are. And I'm here to tell you, you take away a celestial body 
and then you split open the earth beneath our feet? Yeah, we realize that we're not as powerful or as smart as we think we are. I'll tell you what else. There is nobody that experienced all that that would say that those events were not connected. Jesus gets nailed on the cross, the sun goes away, and the earth splits open. That's not a coincidence. Okay, that was part of God's plan. And it was pretty clear. So if I had been there at the foot of the cross, and I had seen all of that happen, I would have been drawn to three conclusions. And the first one is this. Number one, Jesus really is the Son of God. Jesus really is the Son of God. You know, there's a saying that my friends and I used to use in college a lot. Um, I'll still pull it out from time to time when it's appropriate. But we'll say, used to say, if it looks like a duck, and it walks like a duck, and it quacks like a duck, it's a duck, right? Yeah, you guys know that one. And we used to use it a lot when we'd have our friends that, you know, would say they weren't dating, but they were dating, you know. They, they would eat their meals together. They would go to church together. She'd laugh at his stupid jokes, and they'd look at each other like this. And then they'd go for walks to the picnic table that everybody knew was the makeout spot, but they just went there to talk. Yeah, they weren't dating. So when everyone says Jesus is the Son of God, when people say he did miracles and brought people back to life and turned water to wine, when Jesus gets crucified and the sun goes away, he dies, and there's a massive earthquake, it's a duck. Clearly, Jesus is the Son of God. There's no other conclusion that you can draw. And the Roman centurion that was there, he knew Look what Scripture says in Mark, chapter 15, verse 39. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. I love how verse 39 there says, when he saw how Jesus died. Because this was a Roman centurion. He wasn't one of the Jewish people. He didn't have any skin in the game whatsoever. He was just as third party of an observer as you can get. But when he saw how Jesus died and everything that went along with it, surely this man is the Son of God. It was the only conclusion he could come to. And if I was there, I'd have come to that same conclusion. And when I realized that Jesus really is the Son of God, And I saw his lifeless body dangling from the cross. I would have realized that I did this. That's your next fill-in. I did this. My sin caused it. What I deserve, he endured. The prophet Isaiah Chapter 53, verse 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that had brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I want to ask you to take your pen for just a moment. Look at verse 5. 
and scratch out the words our, us, and we and replace it with my, me, and I. That way, verse 5 reads, but he was pierced for my transgressions. He was crushed for my iniquities. The punishment that brought me peace was on him, and by his wounds I am healed. And yes, Scripture says all of us, our, and that is totally true. He died for all of us, but the truth is also he would have done it just for me, for my sins, for all the horrible things that I have done, for the unspeakable thoughts that I've had, for the selfishness that paws at me day after day that I try to fight, but honestly, I couldn't fight. I couldn't do it without him. And why? Why did he do it? Why did he die in my place? Because he loves me. And that's your last fill-in. The last thing I would conclude is Jesus loves me. For those of you who took communion a little earlier, you heard those words. This bread represents the body of Christ, which was broken for you because Jesus loves you. This cup represents the blood of Christ, shed for you because Jesus loves you. Every time you take communion, it is not just a piece of cracker that you're dunking in some grape juice. It represents the pain and the suffering and the loss of life that Jesus endured for you, for your sin. And when you take that communion every week, I want to encourage you to pause and remember it was his body that was broken, not yours. It was his blood that was spilled, not yours. He endured inhuman torture and unspeakable, incalculable pain so that you didn't have to. Back in 2006, Mel Gibson produced a movie called The Passion of the Christ. I saw it opening weekend in the theater with about 200 people uh, from our church. It was an exciting night. Some of you probably remember a similar situation like that. But I'm here to tell you, that movie hurt me. It's brutal. It's graphic. It's painful to watch. It hurt my heart to see Jesus punished for my anger for my disobedience, for my pettiness, for my selfishness. And look, I'm a crier. You guys know that. It should be obvious by now. I, I don't like it about myself. It's one of those things I wish I could change, but I can't. Sad things make me really sad. That movie hurt my body. It hurt my heart so badly. For the next day, I felt it. And I swore I would never watch that movie again. I know, I know people who every Easter, they're like, yeah, it's our tradition. We watch Passion of the Christ. I'm like, good for you. <laughs> Not me. And for the last 12 years, I have kept that promise to myself, but I broke it this week. 
if you want to know how much Jesus loves you, watch the crucifixion scene. I'm not going to show it in here this morning because it is graphic and gruesome. And I know there are kids in this room who aren't ready for that yet. But I challenge you, watch it. Watch it again to remind yourself what it cost for you. And if you're not a Christ follower, I beg you, watch that movie. See what Jesus did for you. And it's a movie, it's a portrayal, but it's a portrayal of something that really happened, of a real event that really transpired. So do I wish I was there at the foot of the cross to hear the crowds spew hatred and vulgarities at the one person in history who didn't deserve them? Do I wish I was there to listen to the smug satisfaction that the priest had as they reveled in the fact that they were able to condemn a man to death who the Roman government could find no fault in? Do I wish I was there to hear them taunt and mock his power when at any moment he could have spoken them out of existence? Do I wish I was there to smell the stench of death, of sweat and excrement, of, of fresh blood mixing with dry blood as every time they moved the scabs would crack and more blood would flow out? Do I really wish I was there to see Jesus' beaten and scourged and bloody body nailed to a cross. To see him as he hung there, as blood loss raced to take his life before asphyxiation or dehydration could finish the task. Do I wish I was there for that? I didn't before. now I do because had I seen that in real life I would be a different man today I would make different choices I would realize how much my sin cost in a very real intangible way and I would see with my own eyes and I would understand just how much Jesus really does love me
Final lines of that song, but this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. That's how much Jesus loves me. And that's how much he loves all of us. If you are within the sound of my voice right now, and you have never chosen to follow Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to make that decision today. This can be your moment. Right now can be the moment that your life changes. You don't have to understand everything about it at this point. Honestly, you'll never understand everything about it. I don't understand everything about it. That's part of the journey of following Christ, is learning more and more and more. But if you need a change, if you need forgiveness of your sin, and you know it, there's something in you right now that's telling you you need this. On the back of your message notes, down at the bottom, there's a sample prayer that you can pray. It doesn't have to be out loud, but it can be. But I'm going to lead you in that prayer in just a moment. And I want to encourage you, if you're ready, give your life to Jesus right now. Everybody, please bow your, head, bow your heads, close your eyes. And if you're ready to pray this prayer, pray it with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me even when I've ignored you and gone my own way. I believe that you died on the cross for me. Forgive me for all my sins. Please come into my life right now. I commit to follow you. Help me grow in my faith and to trust in you. Amen. I'm going to ask everyone, keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed for just a moment. If you pray that prayer for the very first time ever, you have never prayed it before, Today, I want to ask you just briefly, raise your hand for me so that I can see you. Thank you. Yes. All right. Everyone, raise your heads. All right. So for those of you in this room who prayed that prayer to become a Christ follower for the very first time, at the close of this service, we're going to give you an opportunity to come talk to someone. I want to encourage you to do that. And I also want to tell you, congratulations. Welcome to God's family. 
Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.